This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Indoors or out, fall, winter, spring, and summer, whenever you garden, wherever you garden, this is the show that covers it all. The AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. And I'm the sous chef, Frank Proctor. Good morning. Uh, you're going to need a jacket out there. Yes. It's fall. You it, can tell today. October, it's really started. Yes, it has. The boy, oh boy. Leaves are starting to look very sharp, though, have you noticed? Well, those cold nights, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's exactly what we, we needed. Some cool uh, night and sunny days. It's yep. connected, right? The sun yep. during the day, the cool nights trap some of those sugars and things in the leaves. Talk to a listener up in uh, Alling, um, um, where, where, where? Aurelia. Aurelia. Yes. And they said, boy, she said, it's just beautiful up there right now. All right. So there's a, a weekend activity if anybody's yeah. looking for an opportunity to get out of the city. You bet. Because there's a lot going on in the oh, city. Oh, is this a know. busy weekend yeah. with uh, Blanche, uh, Nuit Blanche? Nuit Blanche, but also yeah. there's like uh, shutdowns all over the place because oh. of, you know, runs for the cure and whatever have you yeah yeah whatever have you all right but we're here to talk about gardening that's it i knew we were here for that for some reason yeah you are the sous chef of the garden show (laughs) right and the phone numbers are 416-360-0740 in toronto and anywhere else in the province it's toll free my friends 1-866-740 Four seven forty. Well, what's on your list of agenda there? Well, my dear, I have. A, there's all kinds of clubs and horticultural societies meeting. Yeah. Again, typically they take the summer off because of people being away. But come September, October, the meetings are happening. So get your calendars out. Uh, depending on where you live and which area you would like to join. Remember, horticultural societies are not, I mean, for sure it's like a garden club where people get together, they talk about gardens, they share plants and ideas and solutions, but they're very social as well. Um, I was in Cornwall this past summer and the, the horticultural society there said, we have two real reasons, two things that are important to us. One is food. <laughs> the other is yeah. is learning something. Yeah. So, and that's their and I recognition. Like that order. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much that is the order. So there's typically always food at every meeting, and and an opportunity to learn. So here's what's coming up in Agent Court, for example. This is on Monday, day after tomorrow, between uh, starting at eight o'clock, at the Knox Christian Education Center, which is at Midland and Shepherd Avenues in Agent Court. There's free parking. Uh, The topic is some of our favorite gardening mistakes. Uh The speakers are Diane and Gary Westlake. They're from Peterborough. They are master gardeners, uh, similar to myself. They're great people. They've certainly had a lot of experience gardening. So that'll be a fun topic. Uh, There as well, there's a garden show flower garden show so people are bringing in flowers and competing because remember that cutthroat competition that yes, goes on yes yes you're a rough bunch and refreshments that's the agent court garden <laughs> okay. club on monday uh on wednesday we have a couple of things we've got the riverdale hort society presenting sherry lynn saffer she's the president of the greater toronto uh, rose society and her subject is the culture of roses starting at seven o'clock at the frankland community center which is on logan avenue just south of the danforth same day wednesday october oh no 
did I say October 13th? I should have. That last one was Wednesday, October 13th. And same day, the Burlington Horticultural Society is holding their general meeting, 7.30 start time. Simon Taylor will be speaking on Gardens of Dundurn Castle. Uh, that's happening at the Senior Centre, which is located at 2285 New Street in Burlington. And one more, the Scarborough Garden and Hort Society meets on Tuesday, October 12th at 7.30. They, this is a general meeting, and it's a free lecture on heritage seeds. This is being presented by Maria Castan, and the location for that meeting is the Scarborough Village Community Centre, 3600 Kingston Road at Markham Road, the northeast corner. Okay, okay. well... You would think that's all, but I have one more I forgot about. Uh-huh. Uh, I took this one out of the newspaper, though I should know about it. This is my local Richmond Hill uh, Garden and Horticultural Society. They're meeting on this coming Tuesday, October the 5th, at 8 o'clock. And what they're doing, this is a fun idea. It's a fundraiser. So one of their lo- their uh, members, he's a florist, and his name is Glenn Fiddler, runs the Hillcrest Florist. He is going to very rapidly create and complete about a dozen harvest-themed floral arrangements. So he's going to do that in front of the crowd. So we're talking, you know, action-packed, floral arranging, high speed. Then the creations will be auctioned off afterwards. Well, isn't that neat? And, of course, right before Thanksgiving. So wonderful opportunity for getting a, you know, professional Thanksgiving centerpiece to put on your table. And, of course, the auctioning off, all the money raised will go towards the the Horticultural Society. So very fun idea. I thought that was pretty cute. The Richmond Hill Hort Society meets uh, at the McGonaghy Senior Center, which is at 10,100 Young Street. It's free and open for all members, and it's a mere $5 for non-members to attend. Of course, you can always buy a membership when you're there for only $20 a year. And uh, it's a, they're a great group. They all are. The Hort Societies are great. They're so much fun. All right. I take your word for it, because well, you're a fun person. Well, so, there you, know, you go. <laughs> Gardeners are fun people. Replicate Charlie Dobbin. You've got garden clubs. <laughs> That's what you get. Uh, yeah, one thing I forgot is the mantra. Oh, yes. Call early, call often. One question per call. And we're going to get to some of those callers in just a couple of moments, okay? Transplanting good ideas from one gardener to another. This is the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. And uh, here's Charlie. <laughs> Listen to you, Johnny Carson. He's sitting right here with me. All right, Frank is actually suffering. He has hurt his back. So if you hear a few little squeaks of pain in the background, that is Frank moving. Now, this goes back to, have you been taking your Sierra Silver? Yeah, Frank? I had to admit, I, I hadn't for the past couple of weeks. I just, oh, I forgot. You forgot. And now look what happened to me. Yeah, um, so Frank's mm. thrown his back out. Now, we don't know if that's at all connected to Sierra Sil, but we do know that if you do take Sierra Sil on a daily basis, you are likely to be in far better shape oh. and far more limber. Oh, I feel like I'm being lectured by my mom. Capable of moving <laughs> and staying active. Uh, yeah, sometimes we, we do try and pick things up and or we twist when we're picking something up and we shouldn't have done that and then we have very sore back afterwards so sierra sill is, is something to take on a daily basis to avoid problems like this in the future frank uh and you know that and i'll just stop right now okay. if others are interested in learning more about the na- all natural mineral complex which can you know clinically has been clinically proven to reduce inflammation Check them out at one eight seven seven joint 14 And that was Charlie Dubbin, 
sticking the knife to me and twisting ever so slowly. Ooh, I wasn't Thank you. trying to be so hurtful. <laughs> oh, no, I appreciate the advice and dumb me. Okay, 9.15, got to get to our phones, and uh, f- let's see, we uh, have our first caller, Vivian from Burlington. Hello, Vivian. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, Charlie. I, my question is, uh, since I haven't been able to get to my Rose of Sharon until they stopped blooming just quite recently, is it too late now to do it next week? To prune the Rose of Sharon? Yes. Uh, why would you want to prune it now? Is it, is it interfering with a, a walkway or a window or anything? Well, actually, yes. It is, and it's too high. And uh, I have people coming next week to do some work around the house, mm. and uh, they're slightly in the way. Okay. And uh, but I normally do it when you know uh, a little earlier than this. Well, after actually, they, after they just stop blooming. Actually, it, to prune earlier than this wouldn't actually be the best. I can hardly hear you. Pruning before pruning in September is not the best thing to do. Oh, it's not. No, because if you prune plants in September, then you're likely to encourage new growth. And of course, the last thing we want on our plants in September is new growth because right. that is likely to be damaged in the frost. I see. So, is the if you're going to do any pruning in the fall, the later the better. Uh, so, if you need to, in your case, you need to do some pruning to to um, prepare the home for some workmen to get near the home. That makes sense. Or, yes. or like I said, if you know a plant is interfering with a walkway and you need to prune it before winter, then absolutely you can do it any time now. Uh, Otherwise, with Rose of Sharon, I would just leave them alone and prune in the spring. Oh, all right. Okay. Uh-huh. And then uh, at that time, just make it uh, as, as it can get close to the house mm-hmm. so people can that are coming. Exactly. And uh, then leave it maybe to the spring and then do the rest. Exactly. Finish all the job right. in the Thank spring. Thank you, Charlie. You're very welcome. Thanks for your call. Thank you. And uh, we're uh, having a busy show here with the calls. Dorothy on... Uh, Line uh, number two here from Toronto. Hi, Dorothy. Hi. Morning. Um, good morning. Um, I have a bumper crop of tomatoes this mm, year, lovely. more than I've ever had in my life. It was a great season. Yes. And what I, I so yesterday, because they said it's going to be down to frost, and so I picked them. Mm-hmm. I have two baskets of green ones. And I have some red ones, too, quite a bit of red ones. What I want to know is how can I keep them so I can still eat them in December and January? Mm. Well, the best, if you want to keep them that long, Dorothy, then freezing them is going to be the best thing to do. I don't want, uh, I like them in, like, bacon and tomato sandwiches. Mm. Okay. The problem is, is it'd be very hard to keep them right up until December, January. I can give you a couple of suggestions. One is if they're, they're are they all green, the two baskets you said that are green? Yeah, I have, uh, but they're, they're smaller and green, mm-hmm. so I can eat them in one meal, mm-hmm. okay. whereas the tomatoes are bigger. The red ones are bigger. Okay, well, of course, the red ones, you'll put them in the fridge and, you know, eat those over the next week or so because they will eventually start to rot. Yeah. The green ones, you can cause them to turn red by wrapping each one individually in a sheet of newspaper and just putting them in a, in a leaving them out on the counter in a warm spot and check them every couple of days. What will happen is eventually they'll start to redden. Just, you just need that first little bit of red to start when they're wrapped in newspaper. Yeah. As soon as they've started to color up 
a tiny bit, take them out of the newspaper, put them on the window ledge. They'll finish coloring to the bright red, and then of course eat them as they uh, as you can. Refrigerate them to prolong them as li- as long as you can. But at some point, yeah, you're gonna have to do. You'll probably have more tomatoes. You're gonna have a big feast at some point. Yeah. Um, but uh, my neighbor, similar to yourself, had such a bumper crop of tomatoes. She didn't know what to do with them all. I mean, she just had too many. To such a great year, and she, what she did is um, very simple. Kind of a, in her case, she used the barbecue, but you could use the oven just to roast them to the point of of the skin softening and, and falling off. Once they were sort of baked or, or roasted enough that the skins were off, then she just uh, put them in, in Ziploc plastic bags and stuck them in the freezer. And she'll use those. That's a good idea. Yeah, for yeah. for making some sauce or making some chutney or making whatever kind of a tomato based dinner come January, because uh, they'll be still nice and fresh, almost right out of the garden at that point. They, you know, they're not cooked at this point yet. They're still uh, quite fresh and but frozen and, and maintaining. But you say to wrap them in newspaper. What does the newspaper do for them? <clears throat> well, the green tomatoes will stay green uh, and just actually turn black and and shrivel up and and go in the composter unless you can cause them to ripen to a red edible point. And by wrapping them in newspaper, the as the plants, it's called senescing, it's actually the process of dying, plants, tomatoes, will give off a gas called ethylene. And as they're giving off that ethylene, if they're wrapped in newspaper, the ethylene will build up inside the newspaper and cause the, col- the coloration, the red to appear and the green to disappear. So it's, it's strictly a ripening process. All fruits give off ethylene, and the paper will just help hold that ethylene in. You don't want to use plastic, though, because plastic, you could end up with the whole thing just turning to mush. And could I put it in the, uh, the bottom drawer of the refrigerator? Uh, not while you're trying to do the ripening process. Once they're ripe, yes, absolutely. So that's once they're ripe, they go in the refrigerator. Yes. Until then, they're wrapped in newspaper. And just leave them on the counter and check them every couple of days. Okay, thank you ever so much. Thanks, Dorothy. Okay, Dorothy. Uh, gee, I thought uh, wrapping in newspaper, uh, you'd automatically wind up with a well-read tomato. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Best right. No, right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's zip over to Scarborough and say hi to Fran. Good morning, Fran. <laughs> Good morning, Fran. Okay, we'll hold Fran for just a moment. We have to take a little bit of a break here, and we'll come back and uh, check in with Fran from Scarborough in just a moment. Getting to the root of a growing dilemma. This is the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. And I'm the sous chef, Frank Proctor. Nice to be with you this Saturday morning. Phone numbers for Toronto, 416-360-0740. And anywhere else in the province, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And along we go to Scarborough to check in with Fran. Hi, Fran. Hello. Morning. Good morning. I wonder if you could give me some information. I have a, a canna lily plant. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been dug up and cut down. And how do I take care of it for the winter? Can I put it in a cold cellar? Or oh, do you, do you have a root cellar or a cold cellar? Yes, I do. Perfect. The trick with it with the cannas is to keep them dormant. So a cool a cool spot like a root cellar or uh, a cool place like that is perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to keep my cannas. They need to be kept dark. Mm-hmm. If they get any light on them, they'll start to grow. Right. The easiest way to keep them dark is in a paper bag. Okay. Depending on the size of this of the sometimes canna lilies it's can be big. It's huge. Yeah. So I, I've been known to use like a big Rubbermaid container, you know, a big plastic oh, tub. Right. Right. Fill that up with uh, clean peat moss. 
Mm-hmm. Bury your canna lily or whatever bulbs and tubers you want to overwinter mm-hmm. down under the peat moss in the in the uh, Rubbermaid container right. and don't put the lid on tight just have the lid sitting on it But just kind of a little bit of, allow that air to to go back and forth and mist the uh, peat moss just a little bit just to make it a little bit moist not soggy uh-huh. a little bit of moisture in the peat moss uh, Otherwise the canna will w- like whizzen up and get completely dry so you need a little bit of moisture in the soil or the peat moss around it. And check. Yeah, every six weeks, eight weeks, just take a little dig down and make sure there's no fungus or mold growing. On, you know, it's not so wet you've got mold growing. And it's not so dry that the tubers are starting to shrivel. Well, that sounds wonderful then. Okay, so it's cool, dark, a little bit of moisture. That's, right. that's the truth. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. Oh, appreciate your help. My pleasure. Good Great. luck have- with that. Have a sweet day. Thanks. Thank you. A bright and happy person here on a Saturday, the, yeah. what is it, the uh, second. second of October. October. Yikes, yeah. But, uh, um, yes, yeah, talk of frost. Now, that's not true, right? It's not going to frost anytime no, I, soon. I hope not. <laughs> I'll bet you, though, where we're going next in Caledon, the trees have started to go oh, there. We'll check that out with Angie. Good morning, Angie. No, you went to the oh, wrong. Oh, I went to the wrong yes, person. You did. You're I, supposed to be talking to Isabel. Oh, and I'm Brantford. very sorry, uh, Brantford. Well, let's check the leaf conditions there. Hello, <laughs> Isabel. Sorry. Good morning to you. Morning. I have a question, uh, Charlie. I have a climbing rose in my front of my condo here. Mm-hmm. Now, should I cut it down? Nope. No. When, how long? How old is it? How long has it been there? It's about uh, two and a half years. Okay. The only time we do any cutting on a climbing rose in the fall is if it's got canes that are interfering uh, with a walkway or uh, a window. Or the canes are so long that in a big wind they're going to fly all over the place and bang up against the window and damage themselves or get damaged. Uh-huh. Then we would do some pruning just to bring the plant down a little bit so that it's safe for the winter. But you, the, other than that, no, you don't do any radical pruning on a climbing rose in the fall. Oh, okay. And okay. do I just till it up with the black earth, yes. the root? Brilliant idea, definitely. A little hilling, good nine or ten inches of black earth around the crown, uh-huh. down at ground level. Not yet, though. you got to wait until we really had some good hard frosts. Oh, okay. The plants, the roses are a little slow to go dormant. I, I imagine your climbing rose has flowers on it right now, doesn't it? No, actually, it had very few flowers this year. Oh, really? Yeah. Is yeah. it getting enough sun? Is it getting a full day of sun? Well, it gets uh, the morning sun right till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, so it's an eastern location, and it's a good bright one, obviously. It's getting lots of early day sun. What I would suggest is, just as we said, you know, minimal pruning this fall, hilling for the winter. Next spring, when the buds are starting to fatten and, you know, you can see that the, the rose is primed and ready to get growing then you can do whatever pruning you want and it's it can be very effective to do um, pruning on any of our plants but particularly our roses to encourage new growth your flowers are going to form on the new growth so taking every cane down even a foot is going to cause all kinds of side shoots to pop and new growth and flowers while you're doing that pruning next spring you will fertilize Oh, great. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your help. You're very welcome. Thanks for your call. Thank Bye-bye. you, Isabel. Okay, now we'll do that check in Caledon with Angie on the, the trees. Hi, Angie. Hi. Hi, hi, Frank. Hi, Charlie. Morning. Good morning. Um, 
Not in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, huh? <laughs> uh, listen, I wanted to know whether or not you wanted an update on that uh, green tomato raspberry jam recipe. I think you better give it to us, Angie, because you were the one who sent it to me originally, weren't yeah. you? Yes, you were. You bet. Well, you heard, obviously. We've had a couple uh-huh. of calls. Why didn't she make jam? Well, I thought the same thing, but she <laughs> sounded like she wanted to eat <laughs> green she tomatoes. Fresh tomatoes. And fr- fresh in January. So I, I alluded to the jam, but I did, Dorothy didn't she seem was that stuck interested. In that Making a tomato sandwich yeah, thing, yeah. Yeah, she wanted that. But but for sure, Angie, I know there's people listening who are just like Dorothy, Lots taking tomatoes. green tomatoes off right now with cold weather coming. That's right. And, you know, bumper crops. So mm-hmm. better give us the update. What exactly are the ingredients of that delicious jam? You take three cups of, um, well, you throw tomatoes, cut them all up in quarters and throw them in a blender or, um, you know, mm-hmm. Cuisinart or something like that. And you can use the skin, the seeds, everything. Three cups of the tomatoes mashed up, two cups of sugar, and two packages of raspberry jello. Mm-hmm. Boil, ro- rolling boil for 20 minutes, and then pour it into jars. That's simple. Yeah. It's that simple. Three, wow. two, and two. Three, two, and two, rolling boil for 20 minutes. Yep. Then jar- pop into jars. Yeah, and seal them. And I don't put wax. I just, you know, boil my jars are nice and clean and sterilized. sterilized. Yep. Yeah, good idea. And anybody who tastes this raspberry jam will swear it's raspberry jam. It right? is. It yep. really is. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's it, it's raspberry jello and green tomatoes. That's right. It's wow, amazing. that and sounds it, good. It, it, yeah. Uh, you know, Angie, you were supposed to send us some. I was supposed to meet you somewhere, <laughs> but I never made it downtown. <laughs> I'm kidding. I do know from other people who have made this jam based on your recipe, it has been a huge hit. Oh, good. It's very, very successful. It's a, it's a great, great way to deal Use with up your green tomatoes. excess green tomatoes. Exactly. Wonderful. Well, okay. thanks so much for that, Angie. Nice talking to you. All righty. There's Angie, care. our gemologist, uh, calling in this morning <laughs> on the Gem- Garden Show. The gem- Jamologist. Oh, jam. Jamologist, <laughs> please. Uh, 416, would you keep up with me? 416-360-0740 in Toronto. 1-866-740-4740. That's our toll-free line. And let's say hi to Bob, who's uh, calling in this morning. Something about getting rid of moss, I believe the question would be. Hello. Uh, well, we'll get that clear in just a moment. Hey, hey, Bob, how are you doing? Good. How about you? Good. Well, good morning to all you knowledgeable people there. <laughs> but I have a, a little problem. I have a garden facing north in the front of my house and shrubs in the back. And then I have uh, begonias and then some lobelia as a border. But uh, the last couple of years, I've experienced a lot of moss growing there. What would cause it, and how do I amend the soil to get rid of it? So the moss is growing on the surface of the soil where you've got the begonias growing and the lobelia? Right. Okay, so you've got a green layer growing there. Oh. It sounds okay. like, the, the moss. Mm-hmm. All right, so... Well, no, it's sporadic, you know, but mm-hmm. it's there. Well, okay, so the conditions that um, allow moss to grow are a couple of things. One is shade... The other is moisture, and the other is a, a pH that is lower than neutral. Sorry, that's lower than neutral, like a low pH, an acidic soil. So clearly, in that area, that's exactly what you've got going on. You've got shade, moisture, and the pH has, for whatever reason, dropped down well below neutral. So, so how could I amend the pH? Well, you can amend the pH by adding horticultural lime to your soil. 
Horticultural lime will bring the pH up closer to neutral. Uh, the other, I mean, generally speaking, our natural soils are on the alkali, um, <coughs> in the alkali area because they're limestone based. But Every now and then, just through a process of, you know, the gardening, the fertilizing, the acid rain, whatever, our, our soil can end up with some, some low pH. So, honestly, that's what I would probably do. I would be adding some horticultural lime. I'd also be doing something to help with drainage, be, to encourage the moisture to not sit, to, uh, to avoid the sogginess, which is allowing the moss to grow. Well, stay away from the peat moss because it's acid. Exactly. Okay. Definitely a good idea to add whatever kind of organic material that you can, but avoid, exactly, avoid peat moss. Even leaves can be very effective, but avoid oak leaves because they tend to be acidic. A little S- sand as well? Sand would be great because that's going to help with some drainage. Super. Thanks for your input. There you go. Great My stuff, pleasure. Bob. Thanks for your call. Indeed, and thanks to all our callers. Some really interesting questions coming in this morning. We're going to go to uh, St. Catharines. Well, hello, Chris. How are you this morning? I'm well, thank you. How are you? My back's sore. Oh, so is mine. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. Charlie, my husband has a very large indoor-outdoor hibiscus. Mm-hmm. He cut it back in the spring, mm-hmm. uh, and then one of your earlier shows, he heard you mention to cut it at the roots, which he did, mm-hmm. and the plant went dormant for most of the summer. In late summer, it grew like crazy, and it's now a beautiful plant, and it's still flowering. It's got to be three and a half feet high and maybe three feet around. Mm-hmm. He wants to keep it and bring it in, but it's too big. What can he do? <laughs> well, he can keep it, and he can bring it in, but if he can't get it through the door or the room he's trying to put it into just can't cope with such a large plant, then he'll have to do some cutting back before he brings it in. Have to cut it back. Yeah, there's, there's, that's the the unfortunate reality of bringing very happy, healthy hibiscus in at this time of year is that we end up having to do some cutting back to fit them through the door, and you lose some of the buds and blooms by doing that. Otherwise, the plant should be fine. It should be nice and green and healthy and happy. You're just going to lose some flowers. Okay, so he has no choice. (laughs) Um, Unless, I mean, you know what we do when we transport large trees and shrubs uh, in the industry is we tie plants up. We'll just use rope and... Uh, hibiscus, of course, you, the, if it's a multi-branched, shrubby sort of plant, okay. uh, it, it's a matter of kind of bending the branches into a more of an upright position and wrapping some rope around the plant uh, so that it's, they're held tight. So a little bit of uh, tension, obviously, on the branches without causing them to break. Okay. Get it in the house, take the rope off, and, of course, spring all those branches will go back into their three-and-a-half-foot-wide <laughs> position, <laughs> which might work if you have a big enough room to put the plant into, and it's, you're just limited by your doorways. Okay. Okay. All right, I will pass the message later. Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks very much, Chris. <laughs> you're listening to AM740, The Garden Show, with Master Gardener, Charlie Dobbin, I'm Frank Proctor, uh, here to help along, I think. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go next, uh, right here in town, actually, Toronto, Ray, uh, killing gout weed. I've never heard of gout weed. You probably have gout weed in your back right now. Uh, well, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Hey, uh, Ray, w- what's happening there? Good morning, Charlie. Good morning. And Frank. Um, we have an infestation of gout weed mm-hmm. in, mixed in a, a perennial garden with roses and perennials. Mm-hmm. And I uh, haven't been able to find a weed killer that's selective enough to kill the gout weed. Uh, 
I wonder if you have any ideas mm. about it. Unfortunately, you won't find a herbicide that's selective enough to kill just the goatweed and nothing else. Yeah. Goatweed, for those of you that are wondering, I imagine the one you have is green and white. The leaves are green and white. Yeah. It's it's used as an ornamental ground cover. Uh, the proper name is Agapodium, so A-E-G-O-Podium. Uh, for telling Frank this because he's never heard of goatweed. It it has been sold, it continues to be sold actually as um, a wonderful little plant that will grow in sun or shade and just fill in areas beautifully for us. Problem is, is which like you're experiencing, it's now crept into a garden, it's intermixed in amongst all your perennials, it's completely invaded and taken over probably some of the plants you really love. Exactly. And how do you get rid of it? The only way that I can tell you that you can truly get rid of it is by doing a complete renovation of that bed, which means completely digging everything out, uh, very carefully picking every piece of goutweed off from the roots and around the plants you want to keep and save, uh, digging through the bed to, you know, actually, really what you would do is you take out all the plants you love, you would take away all the agapodium that's growing and, you know, is all twisted in the roots there of the, of the loved plants, tuck them away in a shady spot and someplace nice and safe, and then you would solarize that bed with black plastic tarpaulin, which would bake and kill the, the goutweed, and then you turn around and go, you know, six weeks later and plant everything back in. And, of course, the goat weed would, would have been eradicated. Wow, that sounds like a big job. It is a big yeah, job. Yeah, I was it's afraid you were tell me something like that. <laughs> it's a huge job. And you can't, I've been partway through that. And yeah, it's, just it's huge. Murder. Well, I had a thought right off the top when I saw the topic come up. I thought... Call a tow truck, because gout usually hits the big toe, isn't that right? <laughs> but that oh, yeah, uh, obviously yeah. is not going to work. No. No. No, and, and the only other thing is, of course, you can use Roundup, which is still sold for the control of noxious weeds like poison ivy. Mm-hmm. And you can't, Roundup will work to kill agapodium. Early in the season, you'll always be more effective with younger plants. So I'm talking uh, April, May, spraying more than once. And doing it on a day when it's not windy so that you can be very, very controlled because Roundup is a non-selective herbicide. It will kill anything that you spray. But by very carefully and judiciously only spraying the leaves of the goutweed, you can have a big impact. You can certainly lower the quantity of goutweed down. Will you truly eradicate it? Probably not if it's growing in amongst things like the roses and, and some of your preferred perennials. I know it's a real drag. Well, thank you very much. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Ray. Gosh, I wish yeah. we could have been... Yeah, yeah, I wish I had happier news for you. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for calling in to get the sad good, news from Charlie. Good luck with that. Yeah, we're uh, going to be back in just a couple of moments. Uh, but, you know, uh, I was not kidding about the back thing. Know. Unbelievable. I, you know, I've heard people with back problems, and they say, God, you have a back problem, and you are in trouble. Yeah. And I'm telling you, if I move the wrong way, I actually... Sometimes Scream. just yell, you know. So if through the rest of the show I yell out Scream once or twice, like a girl, they you, call you that. yeah, that's I'll be screaming <laughs> like Mimi. I'm telling you. Okay. Well, but that takes us back to uh, Sierra Sill. 
Yes, and, it does. Uh, the fact that if you had taken your three pills daily, like you're uh, supposed no, to, you I might know. not be in this problem. Which, which is maybe not true because sometimes when we throw our back out, it's it's more than than Sierra Sil is really all about joints, and mm-hmm. I think what you've done to your back is more of a muscle spasm. muscular thing. But, uh, yep. but Sierra Sil it will help with joint pain if you are experiencing issues with your hands, your elbows, your hips. You're in any kind of pain around those very important joints that we need to keep us active, living a, a life where we can get into our gardens, we can get out, play some golf, we can be ready to shovel snow, they tell me, sometime soon. Uh, we want to be able to do all those things. We've got to stay limber, and the way to do that is to consider something like Sierra Sil. It is a favorite amongst people who do suffer from joint pain, arthritis, fibromyalgia, chronic joint inflammation, injuries, uh, even digestive disorders can be helped with the natural mineral complex. So for more information, one joint 14 through rainy days and long droughts, infestations, and early frost, she's the one constant in your garden. You're listening to the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. The one constant in your garden. So if you look outside Aww. and you see some little <laughs> sprightly little Frozen. old lady <laughs> crawling through, that's just... <laughs> little lady I knew crawling. I'd get her. I'm only kidding. <laughs> here I am she's not little. Jokes uh, <laughs> about <laughs> having to wheel you around in your chair here today to your next oh, outpost. Oh, jeez. I'm in trouble, folks. <laughs> Les in Cambridge, save my bacon, would you please? Go ahead, Les. Hello there. Hi. Morning. Yeah, I uh, have a, a relatively old pear tree. Mm-hmm. Had a terrific crop this year, but in the after I picked all the pears, I find that some of the leaves have a red, dark, dark red brownish spot on them, mm-hmm. and uh, it. Uh, sort of grows into a little pimple on the mm-hmm. back of the leaf. It's actually a fungus. It's called pear trellis rust. Right. So it is a rust. That's what those little, they're like little orange pimples, like you're saying. That's uh, right. And a rust is a fungus. Yeah. Uh, so what's happening is that the the little pimples are releasing microscopic spores, which are then going, and they are lodging themselves. Pretty sure it's junipers that, I'm just trying to remember, is it junipers? They overwinter. The thing with rust diseases is they usually have an alternate host, so that when the pear is dormant in the winter, the rust stays alive on an evergreen all winter. Then reinfects the pear in the spring. My God, they're intelligent, aren't they? I mean, really, when you think about it, so, so that the, the rust reinfects your pear tree in the spring, in the rain, because the, the little spores travel usually in water. Okay. So what are you going to do? Uh, the main thing you could do right now is don't worry about it, except be very, very careful with what we call good garden hygiene. Uh, one of the most important things you can do is clean up every single leaf that has falling off that tree, every single pear that's falling off that tree. Do not let any of it stay on the ground as debris all fall in winter. So just keep a constant cleaning up going on and remove that material from your, your property if you can. You know, put it out at the end of the driveway and hopefully the, the city can go and compost it at their municipal uh, setup. That would be the best thing to do. Then next spring, get a hold of something called dormant spray. Uh-huh. And dormant spray. Dormant spray. So we're talking early spring, March, yeah. April, depending on the weather. 
certain weather conditions are required. You do need the temperature to be above zero. You do need it to have there be no rain in the forecast for at least 24 hours and preferably it be a non-windy day. And you will very thoroughly spray that pear tree with the dormant spray, which is a, an oil and a lime sulfur mixed with water. You'll thoroughly spray, uh, and that will be in an effort to try and control any spores that are on the tree that have arrived that spring. Oh, good. Okay. I was looking in my garden book, and they do say to spray with lime sulfur. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't, con- don't even think about spraying lime sulfur now. No, no, I- in if the you, spring. Yeah, if you had seen some evidence of this rust back in July, we might have considered some lime sulfur spray then. But now we're getting so close to the end of the season. Just let the leaves drop, but yeah. do be very careful to not allow them to, to remain on the ground. What, what variety of pear are you growing here? Bartlett. Uh, Bartlett. Bartlett. Uh, it's okay. the most popular for sure. And it was a bumper crop for the Bartlett pears. It was a bumper crop. Yeah, really good. Yeah. Well, so there you go. Well, and that, you know, it's, it's certainly it's that um, disease is unlikely to kill your tree if it's a big established tree, but it is hard on it. It's stressful on the plant to have that rust there because uh, it, it limits the ability of the plant to photosynthesize. So for the long term health of the tree, you're best to try and control the fungus. Very good. Okay. Okay. Uh, See, Charlie. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you very much, Les. Uh, You're you're good at getting other people to work, I'm telling you. (laughs) Guys are going to be cleaning up the yard. No. Lord, love a duck. But that's really important, (laughs) actually. You know, it's it's so simple. We can can prevent a lot of problems in our gardens with some what I call good garden hygiene. There you go. Cleaning up any any of the, the diseased leaves that are falling into our yards. Don't let them just sit there. You know, either use your lawnmower and mulch them up or get them in the compost or get them right off the property. You heard the word from Dr. Dobbin. All right. Uh, Eleanor in Etobicoke, welcome to the show. Good good morning. Good morning. morning. I have two oleanders on the balcony, which I've already brought in, uh, and I had no flowers, even after giving them miracle Grow, but I had Mm. lots of new green, Mm -hmm. and I want to know when I should cut them back. Well, tell me, Eleanor, were they getting any direct sunlight out on your balcony? Yes, they get quite a bit of sun, mm. but also wind. Oh, well, that's all right. They're, they're pretty tough when it comes to wind. I'm surprised you didn't get any flowers. What I would do is, you've got all kinds of, like you said, nice new green growth from mm. partially that beautiful s- summer we had, but the miracle Grow as well has helped with that. Uh-huh. Main thing to do is keep them in the sunniest window that you've got. Only water when they're dry. So really let these plants dry between waterings. It well, might... I was going to put them in, in the storage locker where it's dark, in okay. the dormant And part. have you done that before? Have you overwintered? Yes, them? I have. You have, eh? Um, okay, because I was going to say, if you can keep them in your house right now as a, as a house plant, you uh-huh. are likely to ha- have some flower buds form uh, probably by about Christmas. You are likely to have some flowers on those plants this this coming winter, but if that's if they're just too big and you just don't want to deal with them inside, then absolutely, then it's a process of really withholding the water, uh, allowing them to become somewhat dormant before you cut them all down and stick them into the into the uh, storage locker for the winter. I could cut them down now. You can, but I wouldn't do anything too radical if they're green. Like, when did you bring them in? Well, I'm just two just, weeks ago. Okay. And when was the last time you watered them? 
Well, usually I just give them a shot once a, once a month. Oh, okay, okay. So they they haven't been watered recently then? No. No. Okay, so then you probably, uh, it's quite reasonable to cut them down any time now uh, to put them into the storage locker. If they've been in for a couple of weeks, uh-huh. uh, then you can do that cutting down and tuck them away into, it's, it's completely dark or semi-dark where you put them? Well, it's quite dark. Yeah, okay. And you do water them every month or so. You go down and give them a bit uh-huh. of water. Good idea. And uh, throw some coffee grounds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good for you. So, And oleander are pretty tough. I mean, they, they can withstand quite dry conditions. But to get them to flower, it's really a, a situation of light. They need intense light in order to get those flowers. Well, well, when they're outside, they do. But yeah. it, will it change the shape of it too much or just cut the branches in half or what? Uh, exactly. You can go down by as much as half. And ne- what will happen next year when you go out and they start to sprout is, of course, you're going to have side branches from all the spots where the leaves are now. So it'll be a much bushier plant in the future. Yeah, it looked quite bushy now when yeah. I brought them in. Well, and so, I mean, you can take some uh, stems right off at ground level if, they're, if the plants are just getting too big. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. So, you know, take some of them down to halfway and remove another two or three or four right from the ground if you want to, if the whole thing's okay. just getting too big. Oh, well, that's a help then. All Thank right. you very much. Thanks for your call, Eleanor. Thank you, Eleanor. And uh, Eleanor sort of emulates my lifestyle. I, I have at least a shot a month. So, uh, <laughs> good for you, Eleanor. We are at least. Ni- yes. 9.52, and we must take a little break here for our uh, sponsors. Uh, God love you. Uh, you. You deserve your time. You go and get it. And we're going to come back and have a little word with uh, Joanne in Fenland Falls. How about that? Okay, back in a moment. Transplanting good ideas from one gardener to another. This is the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Go up, uh, let's go up Highway 115 uh, and uh, stop in at Fenland Falls. Say hi to Joanne. Hi, Joanne. Hello. Morning. Hi. Hi, Charlie. I just wondered, when can I trim down a purple nine bark mm. and a hydrangea? Uh, okay, and the hy- what is the hydrangea one of the, what, the um, with the round... Uh, no, flowers? it's more like a cone shape. Cone shaped. Okay. I thought I was buying a round one when I bought them, uh-huh. but it turned out that they're a cone shape, and that right now they've turned pink. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's what I would do with both of those plants: I would wait and prune them in the spring. In the spring. Okay. And now again, unless there's a reason why you need to cut them down because there's workers coming or you can't get down a walkway. No, there's no problem. Okay. The the hydrangeas will hold on to those. The, what are pink flowers right now will turn a crispy bronze color and hold on to the plant all winter and, oh. and can be quite ornamental, quite pretty uh, all winter. Mm-hmm. So come spring, do whatever pruning you want. You can be quite radical with your pruning of that hydrangea if you wish to in the spring. Okay. The nine bark, of course, same thing. It's uh, the purple nine bark is likely what we call the Diablo variety. Yes, that's right. And it will have the pink flowers that in midsummer. Right. So always remember that nine barks grow pretty quick. Yes, you can I know. get as much as a foot or more of growth per year on a nine bark. Yes. So when you're trimming in the spring, remember, visualize it's going to grow a foot. So take it back to allow that foot to grow right. uh, and so that you can enjoy the flowers and enjoy the plant right right up until the following spring and only have to prune it once. Oh, great. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank, thank you, Joanne. Fenland Falls, great. You used to have oh, a cottage up there. Yeah, oh, it's the locks boy. are there, yeah. Yep, beautiful. Halliburton, not far from Halliburton. Well, now let's see. We're heading off in different directions now to Alliston and say hi to David. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Hi, Frank. Good morning. Good morning, Charlie. Quick question. 
about a month and a half ago, you were talking about an environmental way to get rid of broadleaf weeds. Mm-hmm. In the lawn. In the lawn, yes. Mm-hmm. That's with using that new product that came out, uh, Scott's, um, I was going to say Scott's Miracle Grow. It's not Scott's, it's Scott's EcoSense. And it's called. Yes, I have used it. Okay, and it's called Weed Be Gone. Right, but uh, you had mentioned that there was something that you put on the broadleafs, it attaches to the broadleaf, kills it, and then it dies too. Okay, there is, okay, well, the Weed Be Gone is an iron-based spray, so that you spray it on the leaves, the leaves actually turn black and will die. Right. And, of course, the lawn comes through unscathed. The other item is something called Serator, S-A-R-R-I-T-O-R. Serator is a fungus. It's a living fungus that you spray on your broadleafed evergreens, and the fungus will kill the, or not broadleaved evergreens, your broadleaved weeds, the, the fungus will kill the weeds. The trick with Serator is that, it, like I say, it's a living entity. So when you buy it, you can, you'll only find it at garden centers that have like a little refrigerator to sell living uh, pest control or what we call bio Nematodes. Exactly, yeah. nematodes. And Serator, same thing. You'll find it in the refrigerator. So the weed be gone, you'll find that at any garden center as well as any home center. It can be stored on your shelf for you know a year or two, no problem. Whereas right. Serator is very limited time frame, when to use it and how to use it. And when do you use it, though, in the fall? Yes, you can use Serator in the fall or the spring. Uh, it is something that, again, it's, it comes down to temperature and moisture levels in your soil. That's very, very important. So it's all written on the package. But bottom line, usually we use Serator right after it's rained because we need that mo- the moisture levels in the soil in order for the fungus to survive. Right. And that's got uh, weed be gone. Yes. It's an excellent spray for uh, thistles. Yes. Oh, really? Mm. Oh, I tell you, I've never had something work so well on thistles as that does. That's good, because thistles are very hard to kill with a spray. They have the furry leaves, and they just completely reject any liquids that you spray on them. Right, but I'll tell you, that weed be gone. It really works well. Oh, good. Excellent. Well, the guys at Scott's are going to be happy to hear that. That's right. Thanks for that. Scott's will be. They will. (laughs) And thanks for the information, Charlie. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for your call. Right, David, appreciate the call, and uh, gee whiz, we are fresh at a racetrack. As they say, <laughs> and uh, yeah. but you've got a busy show coming. Oh, gee whiz! All sorts of folks to talk about. We've got theater items. Mm-hmm. We've got. Oh, I've got to mention. I went to uh, the um, opening of the Sony Center for the Performing Arts last night. The uh-huh. corner of Front and uh, and the Young, old O'Keefe, yeah. the old O'Keefe, yeah. and boy, have they done a lovely job on that. Uh-huh. The show, Cirque Eloise, uh, just all guys and gals up there uh-huh. doing. Amazing things you I, I, you talk about having back problems. I don't uh, know why they don't. <laughs> um, they probably do actually. Oh, they just don't tell Lord. you about it. They were. It was marvelous. It, it was, was yeah. absolute marvelous oh, show. Oh, good. Yeah. So the, so you, and you went to that when on and I and I stood right week. in line behind Joe Pantalone. Okay. And I looked right over his head because he's shorter than <laughs> he's I am. He's really short. Yeah. I know. yeah. But it seems like a nice gentleman. He is. He is, for sure. Too bad you weren't a Toronto guy. You could vote for him. That's right. I can't vote. <laughs> no, neither of us are Toronto people. But, uh, well, thanks so much, Frank. I hope you're feeling a little better. Yeah. Well, I'll pick up. I'll pick uh, yeah, up. Yeah, yeah.
Yeah, I'm then, not. I won't bend over to pick up. No, I'll use a, get a grabber or something. <laughs> get better. Look after your back and remember your Sierra Sill. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Grace, for all your wonderful support from back there in the booth, and thanks to everybody for all your great calls. See you next week, and exactly. I'll see you in about uh, five. And I'll see you next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at nine on Zoomer Radio, the new AM seven forty. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.